0: When the snows blow wild and the day grows old, beware the snowman, my child. Beware the snowman, he brings the cold. Why did that rhyme return to me? It was a rhyme my mother used to whisper to me when I was a little girl. I could almost hear Mom's soft voice, a voice I haven't heard since I was five. Beware the snowman, he brings the cold. Mom died when I was five, and I went to live with my Aunt Greta. I'm twelve now, and my Aunt never read that rhyme to me. So what made it run through my mind as Aunt Greta and I climbed out of the van and gazed at our snow-covered new home? Jacqueline, you look troubled, Aunt Greta said, placing a hand on the shoulder of my parka. I shivered, not from Aunt Greta's touch, but from the chill of the steady wind that blew down from the mountain. I stared at the flat-roofed cabin that was to be our new home. What a cozy little home, Aunt Greta said. I felt so sad, so terribly unhappy, but I forced a smile to my face. Yes, cozy, I murmured. I started to carry the bags into the house, but something standing in the snowy yard across the road caught my eye. I gasped as it came into focus. A snowman? A snowman with a scar? As I squinted across the road at it, the snowman
1: started to move. Hello. And welcome. To Say, Podcast, and Die. The podcast where two queers sit in their closet and tell you
0: about Goosebumps. That's right. I'm Andy. I'm Alyssa. And today we are talking with you about Goosebumps number 51, Beware the Snowman. That's right. There's a confusing comma after beware.
1: (laughs) Beware the Snowman?
0: Or beware, comma. Signed the snowman.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, maybe it's a message from him.
0: Yeah, maybe it's his signing off greeting, like how you say best.
1: I just start doing that at the end of emails. <laughs> Beware, Andy. <laughs> yeah, so what's going on with our cover this week?
0: I really like this cover. It's super simple. It's a snowman with a red scarf and a scar and a very angry face, very upset yelling
1: at you, throwing his arms in the air, saying, get off my lawn. Yeah, He looks like he's angry about the mail because he's standing next to a mailbox. So (sighs) my brain interprets this as he is mad about the post office.
0: (laughs) Some details I like in this are the way the shadows from his stick arms fall across his body. It's Mm -hmm. very thoughtful. And so is the pinkish blue light across
1: his left side. And the way his ar- the branches of his arms echo the sort of trees in the background,
0: and they look very wrought with passion. The yes, way he's kind of gripping the air in rage. Ah, yeah, the male. You can tell this guy studied anatomy. Yeah, snow anatomy, stick anatomy. <laughs> Should we give a bird's eye view of this this here plot?
1: This here plot it revolves around Jacqueline DeForest. DeForest. We're back on the
0: R.L. Stein hates trees train <laughs> from the first few books.
1: Yeah. She lives with her aunt Greta because her mother is dead and she's never known her dad. They move to a small town in the Arctic Circle called Sherpia.
0: Yeah, which I looked up and it's an app that I didn't understand the purpose of. It was like <laughs> it aggregates things.
1: <laughs> well, in this town... Everyone has built snowmen with scars on the right sides of their faces. Yeah, they all look exactly the same, and it's very creepy in this small town. They're unpacking, and Jacqueline meets two kids named Rolanda and Eli. The kids are very ominous about telling her not to go to the top of the mountain, but they won't say why. Jacqueline decides to take a stroll on up there. She meets a mountain hermit named Conrad, who has a white wolf named Wolfbane. Which is awesome. Who wouldn't want that? Exactly. Exactly. Jacqueline also remembers this poem that her mother used to read her that goes, beware the snowman, but she can't really remember all of it. Rolanda eventually tells Jacqueline that there's some sort of snowman monster that lives in an ice cave at the top of the mountain. They all build snowmen to ward him off, to protect themselves, uh, to honor him, and they don't really know much about it. Jacqueline decides, well, I'm going to go up there and see what that's all about. And yeah,
0: Jacqueline's a really brave kid. We have had books previous to this, for example, Vampire Breath, where the kids talk about themselves as being brave. Jacqueline actually is. She doesn't self describe as such. She just goes and does things.
1: Brave, but maybe not very cautious. Yeah. Like not very wise in the bravery.
0: That's true. I feel like she's a deeply lonely child and yes. doesn't have much sense of
1: self-preservation as a result. That's fair. Well, anyway, she goes up to the mountain. There is a monster, a snowman, and it says, I'm your father, and you should free me from this. And your Aunt Greta's a sorceress. She's that been... was
0: so surprising. Yeah. The I'm your father part. Yeah.
1: The I'm <sighs> yeah. your father.
0: Totally. Also a film that uh, involves a snowy place.
1: Yeah. And then Aunt Greta shows up and says, no, no, that's not your father. And Jacqueline finds the missing part of the poem, reads it, him. turns out he's not her father. He's a monster. It also turns out it's not a poetry book so much as a spell book, but yes. I understand the confusion. Yeah. It turns out Conrad, the mountain dude, is her father, and he shows up and helps them defeat the monster. By calling up
0: an army of all those snowmen that yeah. the people in town have been making. And then that's
1: done. She's like, well, okay, Dad guess we're going to be a family now.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's implied that he wants to get with his sister in law now that he and Aunt Greta are going to get together and have cool, long gray hair relationship.
1: I didn't pick up on that, but we'll talk about it.
0: Well, he looks at her. He's like, so should we become a family? <laughs> and she's like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, that's our book. Let's get into it.
0: Yeah. First of all, I want to say at the top, how come no one told me this book was so good? <laughs> Everyone makes such a big deal about other books, which, you know, Usually when people are all like, this one's so great, often they are, like, calling all creeps. But right from the start, Beware the Snowman is different in feel than any R.L. Stein Goosebumps
1: book we've gotten so far. It feels almost more like a Fear Street book to me. I was thinking more like a fairy tale. But you're right. We have a family situation we've never seen before. We have a dead parent. in The Snowman. Yeah, the other snowman.
0: Yeah, the point horror by Earl
1: Stein. We have a mother who died when Jacqueline was five, and Jacqueline's also really never known her father. He, quote unquote, disappeared soon after she was born, and she lives with her aunt, which that's something we saw in The Snowman, but not in any Goosebumps book up till here.
0: Yeah, we haven't had much of a tragic origin story like this. I just really liked the tone here where she has these childhood memories floating up. The poem that I read at the opening is floating into her head as she moves to this new place. And it's kind of implied there's some kind of deeply buried memory that's coming up for her here in Sherpia.
1: It's really got fairy tale vibes mm. uh, with this sort of half-remembered verse and the tragic backstory. And so that's that was the mindset I was in going into the book. Or
0: gothic, right? Like mm-hmm. the the setting and aesthetic isn't gothic, but that setup certainly is. Yeah. That those plot points are. Also, Arlstein has been in such a poetry place lately. He threw some into Attack of the Jack-o'-lanterns also. I mm. wonder if he was like, maybe I'll try my hand at this. <laughs> maybe there's a market for poetry for children.
1: This has a lot of line breaks. Yeah. I can get through my page count. Exactly.
0: Just like his old joke books. Yeah.
1: She can only remember the first verse of this poem that her mom used to read her, and she really wants to remember the second verse and thinks, maybe we still have that old poetry book. We find out that they've just left Chicago for Sherpia, and um, she lives with her aunt, Greta, who is stern and silent and has gray hair. And big, sad, dark eyes. Yeah, whereas Jacqueline is outgoing and athletic. And yeah, with Sherpia, I was wondering if he was somehow playing on Sherpas. That's what I assumed.
0: So she wonders if the kids in town will speak English. They all seem to... And I was wondering, is this, you know, North, North America? She said they're at the edge of the Arctic Circle. So that's kind of what I was picturing. In Canada. Yeah, like way up yeah. in Canada. Yeah.
1: As they're going to the house, she sees a snowman and it looks very stern. It has a scar. They unpack, they make hot chocolate. And Jacqueline's really trying hard to put on a happy face, but she's thinking a lot about, you know, missing her friends and how they're probably going to a Bulls game. Mm-hmm. So I don't know a lot about sports. Okay. But my family is from Chicago and 96, 97 were really exciting years for the Bulls. So we used to go back to Chicago in the 90s to see my grandparents, aunt and uncle. And this was the time of like Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. So like they won the championships in both 96 and 97. Um, (laughs) So it was like it was super exciting, like to the point where like I know about this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And you're excited about it even more so. This is such a childhood thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, but yes. So she's missing out on some really good basketball.
0: Well, I'd like to also revisit this issue at the end of the episode because the monster looks a lot like a big red bull. (laughs) So I wonder
1: maybe, yeah. Does Arlstein not like the bulls? I don't know, man. I don't know where his loyalties lie. We see this little house. It's a one bedroom and Jacqueline's room is in like a little attic that's so- where the ceiling is so low She can't even stand up.
0: You know, she doesn't seem like she's pitying herself, but it also seems like a really cramped situation and she's trying to make the best of it. But like I was saying at the beginning, I think she's just a really lonely child. Like her aunt doesn't talk very much, mm-hmm. won't talk about the past, won't explain her decisions to move here and things. Mm-hmm. And Jacqueline is a really friendly person and now she's been cut off and she's just like, okay, I'll make myself smaller, find my own fun. Also The cabin has a flat roof.
1: Yeah, it seems not like a great idea in a place with a lot of snow.
0: No, it doesn't. (laughs) Maybe that's why they got it cheap. I don't know.
1: So she goes outside to explore and then cold fingers wrap around her neck. And it's just some random child from the neighborhood. It's like, so you seem really excited about this book. I think we're going to have very different opinions of it. Oh. Because for me, like a lot of these chapter enders feel a little like lazy.
0: But like, why do you get so hung up on the chapter enders? Who cares? Okay,
1: fine. But like, there's a lot of moments like this where it's like fake tension. But I'm also just like, I guess, stuck on the idea that some child just, came up to her and was like, I'm putting my hands on your neck. Like, yeah. So I you mean, don't think that's creepy? It is creepy. Maybe it's also just a lack of interaction with other kids. Probably. And also, just thinking about the
0: break between the chapters, you're assuming that that's supposed to be a relief at the start of the next chapter. But maybe it's much worse when you realize it was the one kid who's your age in town who was like, about to choke you out.
1: I guess so. I'm not assuming it's a relief. I just uh, am assuming there's going to be an escalation.
0: I think for me, I think this is similar to how when you read, you feel like you have to read every single word, whereas <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. And so I think I enjoy some things more than you because yeah. I don't put myself through that. Yeah. And similarly with this, it's just like, okay, Arlstein does that every chapter. That's really totally separate to what this story's about.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, we just have different interests and styles, which is very much apparent if you listen to yeah. this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So she meets Eli and his sister, Rolanda Browning. I was like, oh, like Robert
0: and Elizabeth Barrett Browning, same oh. initials. Oh. That's all I got. (laughs)
1: They liked creepy shit. Yeah. Well, Jacqueline gets really freaked out about the snowman that they're making. Yeah, because
0: they're making an identical one to the one that was right in front of her house. Do snowmen really look that different from one another? Well, the scar is pretty specific. I guess so. And they all have red scarves,
1: sure. I mean, can you
0: imagine how creepy that would be? First of all, she thinks the snowman followed her, maybe. Yeah. And then it's like all the people in town are making this one image over and over again.
1: I guess there's part of me that's like, and maybe this is not having grown up in a place where people just build snowmen, but like snowmen all kind of seem more or less the same to me.
0: Okay. Imagine if you'd never heard of jack-o'-lanterns before and you were in a town and you saw them on everyone's porch. Wouldn't you feel something
1: sinister was happening? That's fair. <laughs> <laughs> so. So she tells him she's going to go to the top of the mountain to explore, and Eli just (laughs) freaks the fuck out. So here's where I got skeptical, and Mm -hmm. is that... Does this sound like a mountain
0: to you? No, it
1: sounds like a hill.
0: She can walk up it in, like, less than an hour? Yeah. Yeah?
1: Okay. I mean, for a child, that's surely a mountain.
0: I guess so. And for someone from Ohio, maybe. Chicago. I'm talking about stuff. Oh, yes.
1: <laughs> but Eli says it's closed for repairs. <laughs> do
0: you think one of the main industries in this town is knitting red scarves, or do you think they import
1: them? There doesn't seem like a ton to do, so I would guess a- there are a lot of people who do that. Everyone's a knitter. Maybe that's why they have so many snowmen. They're like, there's literally nothing to do. <laughs> you know, Jacqueline is rightly skeptical of this idea, and Rolanda says, well, it's actually just kind of a tradition to not go there. And in that case, I got tons of traditions and like places I don't go. <laughs>
0: yeah. So then, really, Rolanda and Eli are the only people we meet in town, Mm -hmm. which I thought was the little children of the corn. A little creepy, besides Conrad, who's on the edge of town. And Jacqueline passes a house, and it has this van that hasn't been driven all winter. It's got just tons and tons of snow on it. And I was like, are the other people in the town trapped in their houses? Are they dead? Are they watching?
1: Yeah, it's very The Shining.
0: Yeah. And also the town, one thing that makes this town extra creepy is besides a general store and a post office, it has a church.
1: Yes, this is like maybe the only church we've gotten so far in the Goosebumps books? Certainly the only one
0: we enter. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll get more into that in a minute but it seems like a town with some infrastructure but none of it being used.
1: Yes. Or maintained. Right. Yeah, so she goes she finds um, a cabin and hears growling and then there's a white blur. Turns out it's a, well, she says wolf but it might be a dog, we don't know, named Wolfbane which is a goddamn good name for a dog. It
0: really is. Yeah. Conrad wants you to think it's a wolf. That's true. Oh my god, I wish I had a pet wolf. I wanted one so bad as a kid. I feel like
1: you probably wouldn't want to pet a no, wolf.
0: I definitely wouldn't. But my, it just seems cool. My
1: uh, my assumption is this is either a Samoyed or a husky. Oh, like, a Samoyed. Yeah, just something that people see and are like, oh, that's a wolf. And you're like, sure.
0: <laughs> it's a little cloud. It's smiling at you. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. She goes into the cabin.
0: Yeah. She which is goes why the, the dog thing. goes nuts. Yeah. And that's when Conrad's kind of a jerk about it. He's like, who are you? Who are you? And she's like, uh, just freaked out right now. And he's like, my dog is trained to attack people who come in the house. I will say, I found it very reasonable when he asks, why did you
1: break into my house?
0: I think Andy would point out there was no breaking. Just entering. (laughs) Just
1: entering. Okay. And I mean Andy
0: from Monster Boy. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) If someone just entered our apartment, I feel like I would have questions. And I wouldn't be upset if, because our dogs will bark at people who come in and run at them. (laughs) I would feel like we were in the right to have dogs who bark and run at them and then to be like, WTF, you're doing here? I'd be furious. Yeah, I'd get out of my house. So I think he's being quite reasonable.
0: That's true. And also he's got an added reason to be careful because he is guarding the mountaintop.
1: Yeah, we don't know that. But yeah, but as, well, yeah. She, but as she turns to go towards the top, he says, beware of the snowman. And she thinks about the
0: rhyme again. And he also
1: tells her that the snowman lives in an ice cave and she'll never return if she goes there. And so she just runs away back down the mountain. And Wolfbane chases her for a little while. She trips on some rocks and then he just he doesn't follow her. He's clearly just like, I've, I've done my thing.
0: And as he's watching her go, she notices that he has human eyes. Mm. Which I would say after reading Legend of the Lost Legend and My Hairiest Adventure, and given the way this book falls out, maybe Wolfbane is like her mom or her cousin or someone in the family sibling who got trapped in some other form. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: Maybe she's a dog.
0: This whole time.
1: Yeah. I mean, who knows? But maybe if he has human eyes, maybe she had a sibling. Yeah. Maybe she is either a dog or the dog is a person.
0: That might make more sense about why the person came up and kind of grabbed her from behind. Maybe they're just like, pet, pet, pet. You know how people just run up to dogs and do that? Yeah, that's true. Wow. Interesting theory. It said she was a star basketball player, but I guess it could be an Air Bud situation.
1: Well, she's, I mean, I should think she can be athletic as a person. Maybe she's like, comes from a really athletic dog. Like maybe she's also a Oh, husky. you're saying she's a dog
0: transformed into a person. Yeah.
1: Like in My Harry's Adventure.
0: Oh, I see. Um, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? It's a weird, yeah, the parents are just like, we turned our kid into a dog and our dog to a kid. And then we're, I guess we're living like this now.
1: I mean, we learned that they were just kind of messing around with magic. So who knows? So Rolanda shows up and says, oh yeah, that man's name is Conrad. And I meant to tell you to stay away from him. And she says that he maybe works for the snowman, but maybe not. It's very unclear. And then she asks her to meet her at church tomorrow, which- Did this set off alarm bells for you? Yes.
0: (laughs) It's like, she's either trying to get you to come to youth group or join her cult, her snowman cult.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This um, could have gone in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. We only meet two children. I feel like Eli and Rolanda are the youth group.
0: That's something that I also felt really bad for Jacqueline about. She feels like she can't be honest or push back on anything they say because these might be the only two friends she's going to get.
1: Yeah. So she, when she gets back, she asks Greta about the snowman, but she just gasps, looks afraid and won't explain.
0: And kind of teary-eyed and says she doesn't know anything about it. So that night, Jacqueline can't sleep. She just keeps feeling trapped and missing her friends and wonders if, they miss her at all which that's that's very real because they have other friends and she hears some howling outside and this is what i'm saying she has no sense of Mm self-preservation which maybe is another way of saying she's brave she just goes outside to check out the howling
1: well yeah and i i would guess that this place is not well lit like i don't think we have good like street lights so she's probably also wandering in the dark which is Mm -hmm. pretty dangerous and she says to
0: herself i'm all alone out here the whole world is mine
1: yeah she feels like she's walking in a forest of snowmen and she also feels like someone's following her
0: yeah she keeps running into one snowman after another, which is really scary. And yeah, the howl keeps sounding closer and closer.
1: Like an ambulance siren.
0: And then she looks at one of the snowmen and it starts nodding at her and then its head falls to the ground, which <laughs> is a really
1: cool image. It's just the wind, but imagine how trippy that would be. Yeah. When she she runs home and finds she's locked herself out, so she gets in through a window. Again, this is a very adventuresome child. Mm-hmm. And then she sees a bunch of boxes and so she starts to look through her stuff. For Does the... she see boxes? Oh, she sees cartons. Excuse yes. me. Yes. Excuse me, Arlstein. There's so many in this book and so she's looking for the poetry book her mom used to read her but then she gets startled by Aunt Greta who has woken up
0: this well it's like a raspy voice that couldn't be Aunt Greta but then it is yeah she has a sore throat so I'm guessing that's one of the chapter unders that bothered you yes.
1: Greta's clearly upset about her having gone out, won't say why Again, probably because it's dark and freezing out And then as Jacqueline goes to sleep, she thinks she hears someone calling her name and warning her Beware the snowman
0: Yeah, she also thinks about her aunt that she looks really tiny and frail all of a a sudden And we get this sense that Greta's realizing she might be moving into something of a caretaker mode As she's getting older and her aunt is also getting older Mm Mm-hmm So she's really, you know, on her own to some extent. Yeah. She can't find the poetry book. And she goes that evening to meet Rolanda at the church, promising to be home by 9. I'm so jealous. She could just be like,
1: I'm going out. See you by 9. It is blizzarding. And she's waiting outside, gets freaked out. And Rolanda's like, why don't we go inside the church? (laughs) Good idea.
0: Good advice. Were you suspicious of the pastor?
1: Or is that just me? I don't think I really noticed
0: him. Well, he wasn't there. We don't see him. Do you think he's alive? We feel his effects. Mm-hmm. Ma- maybe, maybe not. But Rolanda says, oh, he keeps it really warm in here. And yeah. I was like, oh, did she have, she says, because he doesn't like to be cold. And I was like, does the snowman have it out for him in particular? <laughs> or is he some kind of heat monster? And she says that the church is a good place to talk about things that are scary, which I thought was kind of a cool
1: take that on is...
0: the church space.
1: And also we get some backstory. Apparently Greta has given Jacqueline no reason why they've come here. She's yeah. like, time for a change.
0: Rolanda starts giving the history of the village. She says it's very strange. And we don't have a sense of how long, ago any of this happened but we later find out it's about 10 years ago so a very short history of the village
1: to a child that's very
0: long i guess so yeah if you're 12 there were two sorcerers a man and a woman living in the village everyone left them alone to their own devices she doesn't think they were evil or at least they didn't mean to be yeah interesting this book on uh, when it comes to responsibility for your actions and their consequences mm-hmm. that's a big part of what
1: it's about mm-hmm. so yeah these sorcerers messed around and brought a snowman to life but they didn't know what they were doing so they couldn't put it down again. So they chased it into an ice cave and then Conrad moved up there and no one knows why. So they have this legend of the sorcerers, but they don't know who one of them was.
0: Yeah. They hear the snowman howling at night. Apparently he wants to destroy the village, but we don't get a good sense of why he wants that. And they make the snowman, as Alyssa says, they make the little snowman in their yards to honor the snowman.
1: And to, to keep him from harming them.
0: Yeah. It's like putting blood on your lintel.
1: Yeah, exactly. Of your sacrificed lamb. Yeah. So God will pass over you. Mm-hmm. Jacqueline doesn't believe her, which you know, fair enough. But then she feels bad for laughing Mm -hmm. because Rolanda clearly takes it very seriously. And then on her way home, Eli runs her down. He hadn't come with Rolanda, but he says, look, I've seen the snowman. And the scariest part is the snowman also saw me. So the snowman knows I exist and I'm very scared of him. And I'd like to take this
0: moment to say, so Eli goes into an ice cave to see the snowman. Don't go into an ice cave. When I was a kid, we went into ice caves like a little bit of a ways in all the time. There were some big ones in Washington that we'd like play on top of and around that's so dangerous aren't they closed now because a bunch of people died in them because this one girl in particular died a pretty young girl um, was killed and she wasn't even that close to the ice cave so you're not supposed to go anywhere near them now and on the one hand it was really fun to play in them
1: on the other (laughs) hand mixed messages here
0: well it is really fun but don't do it yes mixed (laughs) messages you're right
1: (laughs) It's like smoking looks cool. Don't smoke.
0: Yeah, it's really relaxing.
1: Yeah, don't do it. Yeah, don't do don't do it because the cool kids are doing it. But the it's kids really... who are cooler than you,
0: right? It's a really nice way to get out of a party for a few minutes, <laughs> still look cool. And it's not like you just need an anxiety break, <laughs>
1: but don't do it. So Jacqueline gets home and then is freaked out because Greta isn't there and there's a big puddle on the floor. But then she comes in and we find out she's at the neighbor's house. Yeah, and that apparently it's not a puddle left by the snowman, but rather a
0: roof leak, which I would say is as scary. Yeah, it'd be very stressful we just moved in here. Yeah. Shouldn't have gotten
1: the flat roof. Greta makes Jacqueline promise not to go up to the ice cave to the top of the mountain. And Jacqueline basically a few minutes later decides she's going to break that promise. We also get an interesting take from
0: Aunt Greta here about how local horror legends get started. Something we haven't really gotten this much thoughtfulness about since, since you can't scare me. And she says, you know, there must be some real danger up there because that's how these old stories get started. Something bad happened on the mountaintop. Then the story changed each time it was told. Years later, no one remembers what really happened. And no Everyone just believes a crazy story about a living snowman. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it's a moment where Arl Stein is taking a pause, looking out at the reader and being like, what is horror for? (laughs) Right? What are you really being warned against? And Mm -hmm. why with this image? Yeah. So, she dreams. Her dream was cool as hell. Like, look how cool this book is, you know? She dreams about dozens of fluffy white kittens who start climbing all over each other, and then they're suddenly wearing red scarves, and they start screeching and hissing and clawing (laughs) at each other, and she wakes up. Like, that's cool, right? That's a great dream. Yeah, imagine if you saw that in a film. Like, a film directed by Cronenberg.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd be worried for those kittens.
0: Yes, well, it (laughs) seems like they were melding into one. Yeah. Not unlike, was it The Headless Ghost, where there was that room full of cats, like a massive cats.
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, Earlstein's good with the cat horror. It's just the cat room. <laughs> so the next day, Eli and Rolanda show up with supplies. They're very serious about it, and they're, they're building Greta and Jacqueline their own snowman to protect them.
0: And they're like, you have to do this. You will not be safe until this snowman is up here. And she's kind of freaked out by it and mostly annoyed.
1: Yeah, and then they're appalled that she wants to go to the ice cave. They insist on making the snowman, and this makes Jacqueline feel like she's becoming a part of this village superstition.
0: Yeah, I really liked that part where she says it gave her this creepy feeling, like she was is taking part in this ancient tradition built on fear and she wonders if she should be afraid too but it's like the town you know going back to that ancestral memory thing it's like it's sucking her back into this Mm -hmm. place where things are seeming familiar and she's you know repeating these patterns that both feel alien to her and that she easily falls into Yeah, not unlike Midsummer, where she's suddenly able to do the Swedish dance and Maypole dance and everything.
1: Yeah it's also a very sort of Shirley Jackson move where you yes. move to the village and you don't like these things, but suddenly you're doing all of the things that you don't like.
0: Mm-hmm. And so she gets them to, she says, I helped with the snowman. You have to help me by keeping Conrad busy so I can sneak past him.
1: Yeah. So they agree to do it. And she sort of watches. They basically get Conrad to chase them down the hill. And so she goes... To the ice cave. She's moving sort of on this like very narrow ledge. It seems like she might fall.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's so scary. Be careful. Don't walk on icy
1: ledges. Ice is slippery. Oh, sorry. I made a note at this point. So, Arlstein will often write, oh, H-H-H-H-H-H, which he'll then say, I moaned or something. So that uh-huh. symbolizes a moan. But I really want to know how he vocalizes that because I don't know what I'm supposed to be hearing when he writes that. Um, I have some suggestions. So, it's a moan? It's a moan. Because uh. Uh, what I'm hearing is, oh. <laughs> which is not right like oh oh <laughs> I don't know. I would think it'd be weird to moan at this moment. That's what I would think, too. Gasp, maybe? Yeah. That's, a, I think, part of probably why it stood out to me.
0: <laughs> anyway, she comes across the giant snowman. Yeah, the ground starts to shake. Well, she's on this icy ledge.
1: Mm-hmm. Giant
0: snowman pops up. She slips and falls, but manages to grab onto the edge, luckily. And the snowman glares down at her and goes,
1: who are you? And she says her name, which uh,
0: <laughs> Jacqueline DeForest. DeForest. And then hilariously, in surprise, its little tree branch arms pop up. It's like, <laughs> oh my. <laughs>
1: what? Yeah. And it says, I'm your father.
0: Yep. And then it's just, yes, Arl Stein, you were just watching Empire Strikes Back. Because then then she goes, no, that's not true. Yeah. You're lying. And it's like, yes, that's very nice reenactment of that
1: scene. What if the snowman just watched it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Honestly, though, this was such a surprising turn of events. Like, I yes. feel like I, up until this point, a lot of time, I felt like I was waiting for the plot to start. And then when we hit this point. It was like, oh, my God, things are happening left and right. Well, that's what I'm saying about how good it is. So the first part is just super atmospheric,
0: slow build, right? You have this creepy town where everyone's doing these symbolic rituals and you don't know why. And they're also not talking to you, really, or coming out of their homes. You have these weird memories floating up. It's so much like Shirley Jackson, actually, now that you bring it up. And it's very much like a gothic tale. And then all of a sudden you get this wild action at the end Mm -hmm. with reveals and actual horror.
1: So the snowman tells her that her mom turned him into a snowman and ran away with her. And so my next note is, is this a custody dispute? (laughs) Uh And he also says that the magic fades after 10 years. My note says whatever. So Greta came here to renew the spell and keep him prisoner. And that she wants to keep Jacqueline to herself, Mm -hmm. which is creepy. And he says, you can save me, but I cannot tell you how. Great parenting. Yeah. But he can give her a hint. And he says it's the other verse of the rhyme, essentially.
0: Right. He says that he can't tell her because it would make the spell stronger. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I guess I have to find the poem. Luckily, then in comes Greta carrying the poetry book or spell book, whichever Mm -hmm. way you want to look at it.
1: Yeah. And she says, no, he's not your father. And she says, your mother and father were sorcerers and they accidentally created him.
0: Yeah, they created a monster and then tried to contain him by freezing him in a snowman's body. Mm-hmm. Which is maybe why the snowman hasn't killed anyone because he's like, my claws are trapped under the snow. Yeah,
1: I'm so cold. <laughs> they created and, me, but they didn't give me clothes.
0: But then we still get, you know, Greta saying your dad then disappeared after that, which doesn't really make her story seem plausible mm-hmm. compared to the snowman. So you're like, oh, and then he just happened to disappear, huh? Mm-hmm. So telling the whole truth would probably have helped Greta here. But I guess all she knew was that he was gone, I guess. They didn't talk about it
1: yeah because she doesn't seem to know that he's living like a stone's throw away
0: it's not a big town i I have a hard time understanding how they managed to not communicate so well she's not really left the house
1: except to go to the the neighbors that one time but still it's pretty bad
0: but i mean when they left the town when jacqueline was
1: two yeah why didn't they stay talk about it come up with a plan maybe that's why the snowman on the cover is so mad about the mail maybe they lost (gasps) touch oh maybe that's it the (laughs) mail
0: hasn't been coming
1: well, anyway, Jacqueline grabs the book to read the poem, but Aunt Greta has torn it out. She she dramatically tosses it over the ledge, but like some wind from the air vent brings it back up. And Jacqueline reads a verse about him melting.
0: When the snows melt and the warm sun is with thee, beware the snowman. And then Greta grabs the page and rips it up. But Jacqueline says, you're too late. I, I read the last line, which is, for the snowman shall go free. Mm-hmm. I don't know if this is effect on the weather then
1: <laughs> you know well then, it, then he melts and he is a monster he was lying that was pretty awesome okay yes it was awesome this scene yeah this scene is scene great is surprising and
0: cool and again ugly snarling red monster with crusty scales yellow eyes and a bull shaped head he also has a purple tongue and jagged teeth and three fingered hands so a lot going on here but
1: when you're talking about the Chicago Bulls this is a red bull mm-hmm. an Maybe, one maybe part of what they were doing was trying to make the Chicago Bulls a good team.
0: <laughs> well, it seems like they were successful. Did the Bulls do well after 97?
1: I'm not sure. I think they did like well for another year or so, but I don't yeah, I don't know.
0: Cuz maybe overcoming the monster ended up hurting hurting the Bulls, and that's what this was all about the whole time. Well, it
1: didn't it didn't hurt them in 97. Cuz this would be winter like early oh. winter 97. They they went on to win the championships in 97. Well,
0: then maybe there's no correlation maybe, yeah, maybe it's just, we just a cut
1: coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so this monster picks them up is going to throw them over the ledge, but then he gets distracted. Why does he <laughs> want to throw them over the ledge? Jacqueline has this question too. She's like, I just saved you. This is my reward. And he's like, this is your reward. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's been trapped inside a snowman for 10 years, so he's probably a little fussy. I guess so. But then all of the snowmen from the village come and he gets distracted.
0: They are parading in. And this I thought was another really good scene. Mm-hmm. They just silently go up to him and start crushing him against the wall. And I think some of them are like sacrificing themselves. Yeah. they melt him into ice. So some of them just must dissolve their bodies to trap him.
1: Yeah. They freeze him crushing themselves. Yeah. And I guess he's
0: just supposed to be trapped forever.
1: Yeah. And that's when we find out Conrad sent them because he's her father.
0: Yes. And a sorcerer. And Greta moved back because she thought he might be the there.
1: Yeah. He, um, she says now, I mean. His explanation is, so her mother, Jacqueline's mother, wanted to leave because she was frightened after they'd created this monster, but he stayed because he thought he owed it to the village.
0: I don't feel totally comfortable with, like, the how the ethics of this all rolled out, and also the fact that we don't know anything about how Jacqueline's mother died.
1: Also, Jacqueline just went through an episode where someone was claiming to be her father, so, like, you'd think she'd be maybe a little bit more skeptical, but immediately, immediately she's calling him dad. Yeah, I think she just wants that to be true. Mm-hmm.
0: She's looking for answers.
1: And then we get a weird ending where they come out of the ice cave and the snowmen all encircle them and are like, can we go back down now? It's cold. Which it's like, you're snowmen. I don't understand what's happening here. Yeah,
0: it's weird that it would be cold for snowmen. Yeah. But also, I guess, implies that now they've done it again. Like, you've given something life and now you have to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Which, for someone who abandoned his kid for 10 years, is probably is one of his big fears. Mm-hmm. Now he's done it again with a bunch of snowmen. Yeah. Horror taxonomies? My first one I had was an anthropomorphic inanimate creature becomes animate. Okay. Right. So I thought about golems. Sure, it's yeah. kind of a golem story, but made of ice. Yeah. Of course, there's a twist of there being a Red Bull inside. <laughs> but my big example is one of my favorite horror films, Jack Frost. <laughs> not of to be Not to be confused with the family-friendly film, Jack Frost, which, which is, I think, about a dad.
1: Yeah, it's also horrifying in its own way.
0: Yeah, it's but it seems boring. Whereas the Jack Frost, that's about a killer Snowman is just really scary.
1: And <laughs> it's a good
0: time. It's cool. He's a terrible, terrible snowman, like kind of a devil character. One of my most striking memories of this film is picking up the VHS tape in Blockbuster and seeing the holographic yes. snowman. It would go from like a smiling snowman to one with his fangs. Yeah. It was cool as hell.
1: And you're like, you know, this is a good movie because they put so much effort into the into the box.
0: Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And obviously this is something Arl Stein has done a bunch before. We have animate scarecrows, for example. And Living dummies Exactly It's a thing he likes to do Why do you think We talked about this a little bit But why
1: do you think snowmen are scary? in this context.
0: Honestly, I don't really. I think that's kind of what's striking about this one. Unlike a scarecrow or a ventriloquist doll, a snowman isn't scary. They're kind of cute. I mean, I guess you could say they're uncanny on some level. I was thinking about kids, actually, why this type of horror seems to especially affect children, you know, being afraid of a doll or whatever. And this is totally pseudoscience, but I'm going to say it anyway. So when you are a baby and a small child, you are very attuned to faces, learning how to make them your yourself, learning how to respond to them and things like that. So you're always looking around you for something that's shaped like a face, right? Mm -hmm. And expecting something from it or expecting it might do something to you. And so I think when you have these kind of fake out things with faces around you, it could be, you know, you're always having this, at least when I remember back to my childhood, this
1: part of you wondering, is it thinking about me? Does it want something from me? And also you're sort of primed with children's stories, children's literature, fairy tales to think that, yes, this could come to life at any moment. We'll have a magical adventure. Or it could wreak Tell my me. destruction. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what about you? So my first one was Half-Remembered Verses. Mm. You know, the... Children's rhymes that carry more significance than we think. Nine, ten, never sleep
0: again.
1: Exactly. Three, four, better lock the door. Yeah, exactly. so obviously Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, and another one is Tommy Knockers, too. The, Stephen King really likes to do this, actually, take a kid's name for something and make it, that's that's what we call the monster now. Late, na- late last night
0: and the night before, Tommy Knockers, Tommy Knockers knocking at my door. Uh huh.
1: So good. Yeah. I love that stuff. But I like poetry of all kinds. But what do you think is so effective about this? I think partly it's just when you, like, isolate children singing something and slow it down like that.
0: And that's scary because it's something associated with mirth, but when it's not done with mirth, it just becomes a fearsome order.
1: Yeah. And then children take on this very strange significance in horror. They can really easily be made into an object of horror. Like, if you think about something like Samara from The Ring, right, Mm -hmm. where it's like, it's just a girl in a well. Or, like, evil children are all over the place in horror. And so... But also they're imbued with some kind of knowing or knowledge that often adults don't have. So when they're singing about something, it like reawakens something in the the adult, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this trope wherein children are more attuned to the supernatural than adults because adults have learned to tune it out. And so therefore, children are kind of harbingers of danger. Well, that's kind of
0: what I'm saying with the thinking something with a face might be alive, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like that's the kind of magical thinking a kid has that as an adult, you stop doing, and then the world seems not not less sinister necessarily, but you're not as worried about, you know, a clown yeah. doll. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: I'm not not worried about it.
0: But <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so much of children's stories are done in rhyme. So it takes you back to that place where I feel like, I don't know if this is going to make sense, but I feel like something that's disturbing about rhyme is that it is orderly but nonsensical. Mm -hmm. So it's like someone put the effort to put this into this specific shape, but why? (laughs) And in this book, it's associated with magic too, right? Mm -hmm. So um, you have a a rhyming spell and something about the rhyme is presumably part of what gives it its power. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a way that also a lot of times knowledge is put into your head. And this has been true time immemorial. I read a lot of 16th century poetic theorists and they're always talking about how you put something in rhyme so that it rings in the person's mind, you know, um, and sticks in there better. So
1: it's a way of um, occupying your brain with fears and directions. And I think there's a fear there that what if someone put something in my head that is evil or I don't want, you know, it's like living rent-free in my head.
0: Yeah. Or this thing that you thought was innocuous or just nonsense as a child turns out to be about something much scarier which is the case in this one right yes it's not just about a snowman it's about your parents doing something really harmful and covering it up and not telling you
1: same with nightmare on Elm Street Mm-hmm.
0: exactly yeah that's such a good connection My next one was related to what you just said, is mysterious family past. Uh Uh-huh. Comes up in a lot of horror. No, this is not horror, but I thought about The Empire Strikes Back, obviously. Yeah, of course. Where you have an unknown parent... But then you mentioned Shirley Jackson. I was actually thinking of The Haunting, the film The Haunting, Uh all the scenes where, what's her name? Lily? Lily Taylor. Yeah, where Lily Taylor is suddenly becoming her ancestor. She sees herself in the mirror as someone who was in the house previously. Mm -hmm. But obviously that's all drawn from Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House, which also has to do with this feeling of returning to a place and suddenly you belong to it in a way. Yeah. Some other examples I had were, again, this is not straight. Horror, but Rapunzel. Mm-hmm. So your parents made a bad deal; they yeah. left you with a caretaker that might be evil. And then my big one is, especially since this is a winter horror, the film Krampus. Yes. Where they do this weird thing where they're like, oh, it's about losing Christmas spirit. But part of the story is the German grandmother explains during World War II in Germany, we quote unquote lost our Christmas spirit because things were hard. And Krampus has kind of been cursing our family ever since. Mm -hmm. It's saying without saying that this curse that's on the family is about something more more
1: serious. That they did. Yeah. Yeah. Something that they did. That's related to something I had, which is the fairy tale setup, Right. And so you've mentioned Rapunzel. Right. There are lots of children who who start out with something missing in their family, right? And that also sort of becomes some kind of burden that they have to carry forward. Do you think of you some specific ones? So many of them, right? Like Hansel and Gretel, right? Parents can't afford us. Throw, throw us out on our asses. Cinderella, your mom died. That's going to be a problem for you. Yeah. Rumpelstiltskin, your mom promised her firstborn child. That's also going to be a problem for you. Rumpelstiltskin is one I thought of too, though, with bad caretakers
0: because he wants mm-hmm. to come and take the baby, which is a theme that comes up for a second in this one, this mm-hmm. idea of someone wanting to come and take your baby. Yeah. But yeah, this idea that your parents also were super irresponsible at one point. Mm-hmm. I mean, can less, so I feel like she didn't have much of a choice, but definitely in Rapunzel. Well, it's
1: also because her father lied about her, and yeah. so she's locked up and is going to die if she can't spin straw into gold because he went blabbing his fucking mouth. Right. I mean, and we see Jacqueline at this state as a 12-year-old where she's coming
0: into an age of responsibility and where she feels more in control of her life, and now she's kind of starting to see the adults around her as not necessarily that competent. It's a rough realization. <laughs> it doesn't get better. My next one was Menaced Small Town. Mm -hmm. I thought of the film 30 Days of Night, and I guess the comic as well, about the vampires that plague a town when it's in total darkness up north for 30 days. This one with the small town, with the snowman, they can't kind of get out. They're already in a dangerous position because they don't have resources because they're dependent on import and things like that. I feel like when you're in that setting where the town is isolated and then you add and there's something there to get you, it. Creates a effective situation for some good scares. Some other examples I thought about was that movie that we watched, Population Four Thirty Six. Oh my God, it's so stupid. With Jeremy Sisto in it, Billy from Six Feet Under, and it's this town that has. Can you guess what they have to do? Keep their population at. It's so like, anytime someone comes into town and there's more than four hundred thirty six, or someone dies, I don't know. They just have to keep
1: the population at four thirty six, and it, it's a really silly movie. I kind of enjoyed it. I enjoyed it as something to have on in the background while you're doing something else. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Why that one reminded me of this one specifically is because sometimes you have the element in these menaced small town stories where you have an outsider coming in and the person knows something is off and has to kind of figure out, okay, why is everyone doing this? Why does everyone seem so strange? I have two more examples of this. One is the documentary Pray, Obey, Kill. <laughs> Do you remember that one?
1: Yeah, I haven't finished it.
0: Yeah, but it's the one about the Swedish small town, also very snowy, where there is this cult that is somehow connected to the murder of this woman. Cult um, slash church. Cult slash church, yeah. Well, I guess Pentecostal church, maybe. But, like, extreme. Mm-hmm. Like, this woman in it thinks she's the mother of God. and Yeah, we so. should finish it. <laughs> I know. But this this town in this gave me cult energy, especially because they're like, we make this snowman to honor him. And then, finally, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> it's really what this one is, right? Mm-hmm. And he's up there on the top of his icy caves, glaring down at them,
1: not Actually doing anything to yeah. them, but they're like, Oh, that's snowman. We gotta watch out. <laughs> so I had something that's a little bit related, which is building things to keep a monster away. And that's yeah. sort of related to the embattled town, right? Yeah. So with vampires, the classic example is putting up crucifixes, putting up effigies in something like Wicker Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not really to keep a monster away. So that one's not as good.
0: There it's for some religious reason though, right? They're trying to appease the gods or something.
1: Yeah. And something else I was thinking of was the Legend of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. the Tim Burton one where they think that Christina Ricci is drawing symbols because she's the one who's controlling the Headless Horseman, but they turn out to be protection symbols. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's such a good example. In those ones, it can kind of go two ways. One way is the horror is look at these rituals that we have that really underscore how little control we have, because obviously this isn't going to do anything. Or it'll be that you mistake the person who's protecting you for someone who's harming you. Yes. You kill the wrong person, right, Mm -hmm. who is actually withholding the monster at bay. Yes. I had basically the exact same one. I had Harbinger protecting against something. Mm -hmm. The two big ones I thought about were Game of Thrones. So you have them up on the wall- Watching like it reminded me of this in that part where Greta's like, well, people say it's like this snowman, but probably it's just something dangerous about the cave. And at the beginning of Game of Thrones, at least people don't know that there's actually these monsters up north, but they they stand there and guard anyway, just in case, right? Mm-hmm. And then the film The Damned, which is a Colombian film about the, the, basically these people stop at this family's home and find out they have this little girl like locked up in their basement, and they were like, what the hell? You have to like release her. And And it turns out, no, she was locked up for a good reason. Yes, she looks like a cute little girl, but she's a bruja and she's going to possess you.
1: This is the one that has the guy who plays Carlisle? Yes, Carlisle Paul and Peter Facinelli or something. I I remember we saw this when we were in Argentina. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It was cool, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so mistaking what is protection for being threatening Mm -hmm. and then in getting rid of the protection you've brought it on yourself essentially like they they're very very clearly tell this family like don't let her out and they're like but what if we do yeah well and that's
0: just all over the place in this book right we don't know if the snowmen in the yard are actually protecting you or making things worse we don't know if Rolanda and Eli are actually helping out Jacqueline or are they setting her up we don't know if Aunt Greta or Conrad or the monster is telling the truth even at the end of the story I feel like we don't know
1: yeah one of mine was Surprise Paternity, for example, The Devil's Advocate, where at the end Keanu Reeves finds out he was fathered by Al Pacino, a.k.a. The Devil. John Milton. John Milton.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so good. And I want that... to
1: rewatch it. I know we did like two months ago, but I would rewatch it again. Totally. There's also a related thing where someone who is not a parent is pretending to be a parent. Mm. There's tons of examples of this in the Lifetime Movie Network. Yeah. One of them was like, my-, my mommy is a murderer or something like that. What was the one that we watched where there
0: was like the little girl
1: at that children's? clothing store that's oh, that's the, that's the one. Oh yeah hang on let me let me look it up yeah it's mommy is a murderer aka forgotten abduction because lifetime movies always have two titles <laughs> there's also castle rock season two where we have this yeah. sort of annie wilkes story where she has kidnapped to it turns out to be her sister uh and then run the sarah paulson movie as well mm-hmm. um so a lot of these are women focused as opposed to like men abducting a child and being like i'm your dad now mm-hmm but yeah, that's what I saw there.
0: Yes. Again, like that remains an open question for Jacqueline. And that's something I think a lot of kids question at one point, like, what if these aren't my real parents for some reason? Mm-hmm. Right. Because there's a lot of stories for kids that are like that, too. Yeah. And I think it's partly because it's a real fear kids have sometimes when they feel like I don't fit in in my family or, you know, these people control me a lot. Maybe they're lying to me. Mm -hmm. And other times it's a hope a kid has, like, maybe I could be free of having to be associated with these people. Yeah. My next one was loneliness horror. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't thinking so much isolation horror, which is most of what came up when I searched this term. But I just felt like a lot of this story was this girl making these choices because she feels profoundly alone, and part of her fear is coming from realizing how how alone she is, both physically and in terms of relationships. And so I thought about the film May, uh-huh. where she has to make a friend for herself. Yeah. There's also Hush, which is one about kind of having a isolated life and then having to... Do you remember Hush?
1: Yeah. It's a Mike Flanagan movie.
0: Right, where the woman is uh, being menaced by a home invader and she has to figure out how to defend herself. And then a good one, which actually came up on Twitter conversations a couple weeks ago with other GoosePunks relevant to a different one we read, is Let the Right One. In, uh-huh. Where the kid basically summons up a evil best friend. And you could see to some extent Jacqueline as part of that where she's this is not quite how the story goes, but you could see almost her readiness to accept the snowman as a father as this wish fulfillment. I want this connection in my life. My mm-hmm. caretaker is not really giving me what I want. This is offering it, you know?
1: Yeah, she's very quick to believe that first the snowman and then Conrad is her father. And yeah. It does yeah, come from that place of loneliness. Yeah, I think so. I actually had the related taxonomy of winter isolation so The Shining we saw it in theaters right before everything closed down and I had never seen it on the big screen before and one thing that was really noticeable was just how lonely Wendy is mm-hmm. uh, no one will talk to her really Danny will play with her but for most of the time she's just alone trying to connect to someone yeah I know she really wants to talk to the person on the radio mm-hmm. and same with The Lodge where this woman is left alone with her boyfriend's children who hate her mm-hmm. yeah that movie's so good I thought about that one, too, because it's kind
0: of involves family members being stuck with each other who weren't necessarily planning on having each other in their lives. Mm -hmm. So my last one, amateur sorcerers or witches ruin things. (laughs) One example I had for this is Buffy season six, when Willow goes all witchy and then can't quite control what she lets out of the bag. The, I think, classic example of this is The Wizard of Oz. Oh, yeah. Where he just screws up left and right. Then it's like, buy him in a balloon now. Yeah, Dorothy has to fix things. Yeah. He's kind of just hanging around there because
1: he doesn't know how to leave. Yeah, and also people think he's powerful.
0: I don't know how similar Conrad is to the wizard ultimately, right? Conrad says his motives are, oh, I have to protect the town, but it doesn't actually seem like the snowman's going to do anything.
1: Yeah, it just sits there. What can it do? <laughs> uh, it can convince people it's their father.
0: Yeah, yeah, it can roar at you. Yeah. Ah. But it's covered
1: in snow. It's probably not going to do too much. Well, relatedly, my last one is abandoning your creation, Ooh. which the the big one here being Frank. Frankenstein, right? Like I created this thing and then I'm horrified by it. And so a lot of that book is about the creature wanting him to acknowledge his responsibility to him. Yes. Wanting Frankenstein to acknowledge his responsibility to him.
0: Yeah. And as we talked about, Conrad's thing seems to be not really thinking about the life he's bringing into the world and then being angry at it for existing or trying to abandon it altogether. Mm -hmm. It's almost like he's chosen his snowman monster creation over his daughter. I, I think it is like that. It is literally of that <laughs> <laughs> maybe he prefers an antagonistic relationship to one that requires, you know, emotional vulnerability. Maybe he
1: wanted a boy. <laughs> Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and then there are just two tropes that I don't really think we need to talk about, but I wanted to flag that we see in horror a lot that I find a little bit annoying. One is, no, I won't explain. I'm going to say ominous uh-huh. things, but I won't tell you why. Why Why can't you go to the mountaintop? Won't tell you. Why did we move here? Wanted to change. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is, everyone says don't go to the place so you go to the place.
0: Yeah. I think they're both supposed to be to build suspense, but I I know that sometimes it annoys you and you really <laughs> like it when things are like what I have is so good that I don't need to spend a bunch of time building suspense to make it good. Yeah, Which is true. That is cool when someone can pull that off. Like Ari Aster always can.
1: Yeah. Or 10 Cloverfield Lane, for example. Yes. All the things that, you know, you want a heroine to do to get out of peril. She does and they don't work.
0: Yeah. It's not just that she's making mistakes. It's that sometimes things are outside of your control. Mm-hmm. Shared universe?
1: So for me, this raises another question about monsters. We've had a lot of monster questions recently. Monsters. Monsters. Do you think any of the other monsters we've encountered were created rather than, you know, just a naturally occurring species?
0: Oh, I didn't think of that.
1: But, you know, the
0: mud monsters from You Can't Scare Me were created by violence, right? Mm -hmm. When these people were wiped out because the town didn't take care of them. Yeah.
1: Same with the ghouls.
0: Yes. In Welcome to Dead House. So we know of at least a couple of cases. And I think it's interesting to compare it to this situation, because similarly, it's one of those things where, as Rolanda puts it, well, I don't know that they were trying to be evil. Yeah. But. It's more like they're being self-interested and thoughtless, and then it ended up creating this thing.
1: Yeah. Actually, now that we're talking, I'm thinking about Stay Out of the Basement also, where there's plant dad, where he wants to make more of himself.
0: Yeah. Or this isn't creating a monster, but how to kill a monster, where they definitely make things worse Mm -hmm. for themselves by entrapping one. And then I think when it comes to monsters that are the shapeshifter type, though, like the Dark family, or we just had another one recently, right?
1: The vampire family in Vampire Breath?
0: Yeah, exactly. Which I, I feel like I would put in this class of shapeshifters, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, to some extent, maybe the jack-o'-lanterns, mm-hmm. uh, pumpkin heads from Attack of the Jack-o'-lanterns. Although they're aliens. They're aliens. Yeah. But who's to say that that's these fair. other shapeshifters aren't, Yeah, right? that's fair. Or maybe there's just a lot of shapeshifters around on different planets, right? Mm-hmm. And there's some people who aren't shapeshifters. So my feeling is those are not necessarily created monsters. Mm-hmm. I think back when we talked about Beast from the East, we talked about the possibility of different types of runoff. (laughs) Potentially mutating creatures and things. We've definitely talked about that in a number of books. So I think these monsters that more seem like a mashup of different parts, I would possibly attribute to someone doing something wrong, Mm -hmm. possibly magic.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: Which actually relates to my shared universe question, which is, what is magic in the Goose verse? <laughs> so sometimes we have mad scientists, sometimes we have magic. Are those two things necessarily different? And some examples I thought of where we had magic would be the first Monster Blood book, and then it suddenly disappears for the rest. But we have, you know, Aunt Catherine and Sarah Beth. There's Night and Terror Tower, where we have what's called a sorcerer. Of course, he's medieval, so what's called a sorcerer then might be called something totally different now, like someone who just knows about science and also trickery.
1: We have Clarissa the Crystal Woman and Be Careful What You Wish For.
0: Absolutely. Your favorite. Yes. And then we have Bad Hair Day, which is an interesting one because you have some just magic tricks in that, but you do have someone who gets stuck as a rabbit.
1: Yeah. He's a stage magician, but it's unclear sort of how his objects work. They seem pretty magic. Yeah, that's true.
0: And also, similarly, that's another story where we get magic being out of someone, some amateur's control. right? Uh But anyway, all of that to say, so are these different types of magic? Do we have a sense of competing schools? Do we have a sense of what distinguishes magic from
1: science? I know there's a saying to the effect of in science fiction, if you go far enough into the future, like basically all your science is magic.
0: Yeah, exactly. uh, Because
1: you're like, you're not explaining it. It's just like, here's something that's pretty fantastical. I don't know how it works. I'm not going to explain it. That's not important. Right. So I think there is a, a point at which those converge in literature. Yeah, with some of this, I wonder: Are these mad scientists just doing experiments with things with "quote unquote" magical properties, and we just don't understand? But you're right; there does seem to be some magic in the way of the occult, such as with Aunt Catherine and Monster Blood and Clarissa the Crystal Woman. Like, I mean, they seem to very much understand that as magic, even though you know Aunt Catherine has all those science books.
0: Well, and that's that's one that makes that's something that makes it ambiguous too, right? Mm -hmm. What Andy believes are science books; Evan believes are magic books. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that it's totally clear. I would be curious. Goose Punks, what you think, what your theory of magic in the Goose verse is. Mm-hmm. I also wonder when we're talking about Trader Universe if Jacqueline's mom would have known Clarissa or Sarah Beth or Catherine.
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I don't remember where Aunt Catherine's house was, if we knew that, or where Sam from Be Careful What You Wish For lived.
0: But my impression is Clarissa gets around.
1: That's true. And they specifically referred to these people as sorcerers and sorceresses, which, I mean, I wonder if that's different than a witch, right? I wonder if they're sort of rival schools or if somebody's just like, I'm rebranding. I'm a sorcerer now. Yeah. So I don't know.
0: I wonder when they got into it, was it like something they dabbled with in college and they just kept fooling around with in this small town and...
1: We seem to see mostly solitary practitioners in this world it's as really opposed true. to groups. Yeah. yeah.
0: I hope there's one with the groups. I mean, the closest we got was in Bad Hair Day where all the magic aficionados were all gathering for that show. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't clear that they were magicians necessarily. No, nah,
1: just just appreciators. Appreciators of kink. Kink. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you have any other shared universe? Do you think this poetry book is related at all to Stanley's book from Ooh. The Scarecrow Walks at Midnight?
0: So I don't remember Stanley's book having rhymes in it, but I also don't know how much of it we actually got him saying aloud. I don't think we really got any of it because no. he whispered under his breath.
1: Yeah, he was sort of mumbling the words.
0: Yeah, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say it's a little of that mm-hmm. and a little bit of the. 17th century grimoire from Fear Street 1666. Nice. Yeah, some combination of those things, some pictures, some
1: symbols, some rhymes, Just a list of demons. Yeah. Cool. <laughs>
0: Well, I had two small points I wanted to bring up. Mm-hmm. One was, why does the snowman want to destroy the village and everyone in it? And given that the family's name is deforest, is it because <laughs> of
1: deforestation? So first one, I mean, I think he's just mad. He's just been stuck there for 10 years and everyone's just staying away. No one is helping him. To me, that seems like an understandable kind of vengeance. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you
1: think it was like then in Frankenstein where they made
0: him and then they like were like, oh, what a horrible monster. We hate it. And that's why... He He got pissed off. It wasn't that he was born wanting to throw people off cliffs.
1: That's what it seems like. I mean, we don't have any evidence to the contrary. Yeah. And like, yes, he lies to get out of it. But again, if you had been imprisoned in solitary confinement for 10 years, you'd probably try whatever you could. Mm -hmm. And deforest. Yeah. (laughs) That name is so silly. It does seem like they kind of want to, like, master the land and master nature, right? Yeah,
0: when she's out at night by herself, she says, this is all mine. Uh
1: And also, all of the snowmen have, you know, stick arms, so they're clearly taking something from nature and from the trees to make that army of snowmen happen. So the snowman's like, I shouldn't be.
0: (laughs) Well, I guess the monster is trapped inside of a snowman, so it must be adding insult to injury that the signs of his habitat being destroyed are stuck onto his body with those stick arms.
1: I mean, does he even have a habitat? Because it seems like he was the equivalent of created in a lab. I don't know. What about you? I
0: just thought it had to do with global warming. (laughs) (laughs) And that would be also related to uh, misuse of forests. Yes. But I also wanted to talk about 1997. Yeah. If you're open to that. I am. And a side question we might think about in considering 1997 is um, some of the gender politics happening in this book regarding notions of the family. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot of directions we can go because a fuck ton happened in 1997.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Last year of the Goosebumps. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. Bill Clinton is sworn in for a second term. Madeleine Albright becomes the first female secretary of state in the U.S. Divorce is legalized in Ireland. After Dolly the Sheep's cloning is announced, it had happened the previous year, Clinton bans any research on human cloning. And actually, as an aside, that made me wonder. There was this book series I loved as a preteen called Replica, which was about a girl who was a clone. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I bet that came out right after that. And it totally did. It was 1998 to 2002. Notorious. B.I.G. shot and killed. Wow. The Hale-Bopp Comet makes its closest approach to Earth and... Heaven's Gate. Yes. The Heaven's Gate mass suicide. Billy Crystal hosts the Oscars. The English Patient wins and the DVD player is debuted during the ceremony.
1: (laughs) I didn't remember the DVD player. I want to find that clip. Yeah. I do remember the English Patient winning because Evita was also up and I was sad it didn't win. Oh, that's a bummer. The English Patient. So the book is good. The film misses the point of the book entirely and is kind of racist. There's a a Seinfeld episode where Elaine doesn't like the English patient and her boss is so upset by this that he makes her go see it again to like be like, no, 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 it's so great. And she's like, what is it with the English patient?
0: I remember my parents renting it and me just being like, I'm going to my room. <laughs> okay, we got a few more. Pokemon debuts in in Japan and 700 children have seizures because of one
1: episode. Of, oh, really? Yeah, yeah.
0: One of the ones. I think it's the one where they go inside the computer and uh, Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: But also, like, that's the introduction of a significant cultural thing that's going to happen an effect on so many of lives of people that we know you know pokemon yeah yeah it definitely
0: took a lot of my allowance money <laughs>
1: Tony Blair becomes prime minister. Jeez. The All the dominoes are being set up, aren't they?
0: Yeah. The first genetically modified three-parent baby is born. Wow. IBM's Deep Blue is the first computer to beat a chess world champion. <laughs> Clinton acknowledges and apologizes for the Tuskegee syphilis experiments. Wow. Timothy McVeigh is convicted for the Oklahoma City bombing and is sentenced to death. The WNBA plays their first game. NASA's Pathfinder probe lands on Mars, something we've touched on before. Che Guevara's remains are returned to Cuba for burial. Wow. Andrew and shoots Johnny Versace. What? A, wow! Right? This is an eventful year. What a year! Woolworths closes.
1: Yeah, yes, also that.
0: Princess Diana dies. The McCoy septuplets are born. You remember that? No. Every single magazine in the grocery store. Oh had yeah, a until of these seven babies. Until
1: fucking Octomom, Octomom happened. Yeah. yeah,
0: she she took it away. My mom was so into the McCoy septuplets. Really? Yeah, we had tons of material about them. She was just like <laughs> seven babies. Wow, imagine. <laughs> The U.S. refuses to sign a treaty with a hun- that 121 other countries signed, prohibiting anti-personnel landmines. Of course. And in December, Titanic premieres. Oh, man, what an era. It was just such a weird year because it felt like almost the end of optimism. Yeah. And also the setup, as you say, of all the dominoes of like, no, but capitalism is still going to fuck us all, even though there's a lady in office and, you know, we've got a bunch of plastic shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, some stuff is cool. mm mm-hmm. We, we can clone things. Except we can't. Not all things. Yeah. People were so worried about human cloning. Oh, I remember. Did you ever see
1: The Sixth Day? No. The Arnold Schwarzenegger movie about no. cloning? We should watch it. Does it have a clone of Arnold Schwarzenegger? I can't tell you that.
0: Oh my god, I'm so excited. All right. How do you feel about 1997 and
1: what it's taking us into with this newest Goosebumps book? It's so interesting that the end of the series is in sight, Mm -hmm. you know, and... Speaking
0: of end of optimism... I know, right? (laughs) We're very trepidatious about moving into series 2000.
1: Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what that's like. Because it does feel like the the tone of these has changed a lot. Mm -hmm. And... Yeah, I'm excited to see where this goes. And but this was this was the final year of Goosebumps, uh, or, the original series. The original series, yeah. Yeah, ninety seven. Wow, end of an era. Because like, yeah, and for us too, that's beginning the move from childhood into adolescence. Like, not quite there yet, but on our way. Yeah, ninety seven. I would have been ten. It would have been nine. Yeah. yeah. What about some of the specifics here? You know, like these scientific advances, WNBA, you know? Well, it's funny. I feel like we see so many of the same trends, right? Here are these, like, really big breakthroughs in science and in, like, personal technology. uh, Mars rovers. Yeah. And, like, things that you can ostensibly point to is, like, look how much progress we've made. We have a WNBA now. Like, we have a lady secretary of state. But also, just, like, fucking look at our world. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, so. Yeah, there's, like, this huge
0: conceptual disparity or cognitive dissonance in existing in an era with, like, these faints progress. Like, I'm going to apologize for the Tuskegee syphilis experiments, but not
1: going to, you know... Make reparations. Yeah. And I'm also not going to make any promises about anti-personnel landmines.
0: Right! Yeah. And we're going to execute Timothy McVeigh, who has been radicalized by our actions in cases like Ruby Ridge and, and Waco. And he's also
1: fucking a harbinger of what's coming. Oh yeah. my
0: god, yeah. Timothy McVeigh was such a... I mean, I know there's always been, like, dangerous white guys, but he really feels of a contemporary of the contemporary cloth that stormed the Capitol.
1: Yes, it's funny revisiting all of this because you know, as kids, we are maybe aware of some of these things. Like I was aware of Titanic. I was aware of Billy Crystal hosting the Oscars. Well, apparently, not the DVD player. I was aware of Bill Clinton, but the sort of larger patterns of significance weren't clear. Which is also also usually how it feels to be living in the present moment, right? Right. Although not this past year. No, not past past this past year. It felt like,
0: yep, this is what's going to happen.
1: Yeah, I feel like I really developed a political consciousness after Bush was sworn in. Like. Yeah. like like sort of after the Clinton administration. So it's also interesting to look at the sort of things that I lived through but wasn't cognizant of because I was a child. Yeah. That you were aware were happening but didn't have... I didn't have a sense of the greater structural significance of all these things.
0: Right. I feel like we were at an age where we both knew like, oh, this is important and this is, you know, like this short one sentence version of why.
1: Because like when Princess Dana died, I had no idea who the fuck she was and I didn't understand why everyone was sad because I was just sort of too young for all the things where like everyone loved her. So now, you know, having lived through so all this stuff and being able to see like, oh, this is why we are where we are, it, it makes a lot more sense. And it's interesting to revisit this then is that sort of more systematic way.
0: And when we think about Beware the Snowman, do you see any ideological or thematic or zeitgeisty connections?
1: Well, one thing I noticed immediately that's been sort of A trend in the past several books is starting to see families that aren't necessarily like your typical nuclear family. Yeah, Uh, That's something I'm always sensitive to because I had divorced parents, right? And and also, ironically, I'd quit the Goosebumps books before they started showing up. But so that's one of them. And then also... I think from book to book it changes like what constitutes danger changes mm-hmm. which you know it's an anthology series that's meant to happen and it, but in this one it's interesting how Jacqueline for also very 90s name Jacqueline it's interesting how Jacqueline especially spelled j-a-c-l-o-y-n yeah. very 90s it, well it's interesting how Jacqueline has to make the split second decision and she chooses wrong yeah you know in a, in a way that very much imperils her
0: I thought that was a cool mm-hmm. moment also I think something that's related to that big list of nineteen. 19- 97 things that I was just reading is, you know, what's the source of evil here or the source of danger here? It's it's her parents. It's people who have too much power and not enough sense of what the effects of what they're doing might be or sense of thinking about the consequences, but they're definitely
1: acting. And they're very invested in withholding information. Everyone mm-hmm. is in this, right? Because, like, if you just shared that, it'd be like, oh, cool, I just won't go up to that mountain. Like, it's not really that big of a deal. But there's very much these power plays involved in hiding things from her.
0: Well, and that's something that's interesting in this list of 1997 things is you have a lot of big gestures at being, we're going to acknowledge this, we're going to make up for this, whatever, you know, thing that happened many decades ago. But then that is going hand in hand with present day abuses. So it's not doing anything to actually repair the loss of faith in uh, government or the rampant sense of paranoia that has
1: gone from you know, what's that guy's name? Bill. Bill Cooper. From Bill Cooper to X-Files to QAnon. Yeah. And just looking back, it's like, why didn't we figure out a better system than that?
0: <laughs> yeah, why like we fight make it better, not like
1: that. <laughs> or just like, rather than just making empty gestures, what if we made structural reform?
0: Well, that's the problem, right? right. Yeah.
1: Or structural complete overhaul, whatever. But yeah. Then
0: where would the Democratic Party be? <laughs> They'd lose
1: their whole identity if they that's did something true. other
0: than make empty gestures.
1: <laughs> we can't have that. No. Well,
0: how would you rate Beware of the Snowman? Uh, I'd give it a three and a half. I, has, has your rating gone up as we've been talking? It has.
1: Ha! Yes. I would say that the last third is really good. Yep. But like, there's a point in my notes where I have, it's chapter 20 and nothing's happened. So like all those turns of events, I just wanted more of that. Atmosphere has happened. Yeah, but like, has it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I really love this one. I'm giving it a five. Nice. I just was like, what is this? Like, I don't know what's happening next. And this character is so cool and intriguing. And there's like a creepy church. I was all, all about this.
1: Nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's some really good setting here, except for except for that flat roof. That that was a weird choice. Yeah. And
0: naming the place Sherpia. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. GoosePunks, we want to know what you think. Why haven't
0: you told us how good this book is before? What do you think about the monster? What do you think about 1997? What do you think about
1: the bulls? <laughs> <laughs> You can tell us by sending a. Oh, what are we reading next week?
0: Oh, yeah. We're reading... Next week is one I don't know at all. It's called How I Learned to Fly. And I know what the cover
1: looks like, but that's it. Nope. No Just idea. Just some feet, feet. flying. <laughs> so you can send us an email at saypodanddie at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch with us on Twitter and Instagram at saypodanddie. And why not rate, review, and subscribe? Leaving us a review with five bewares helps us reach more goosebumps. Listener beware. Those, Those were, were the, the scares. scares. Good boo. Good boo. I turned to the snowman and saw him begin to melt. The black eyes dropped to the snow. The face melted, melted onto the body. The tree branch arms thudded heavily to the ground. Slowly, his real face came into view. I stared as the snow dripped away, and then I opened my mouth in a shrill scream of horror. A monster! An ugly, snarling monster stomped out from under the oozing snow. Aunt Greta had told the truth. A monster was trapped inside the snowman not my father. A monster, such a hideous monster. Its head and body were covered with crusty red scales, its yellow eyes rolled wildly in its bowl-shaped head, a purple tongue flapped from its jagged-toothed mouth. No, 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 Aunt Greta chanted, still pressing both her hands against her face. Tears ran down her cheeks and over her hands. What have I done? I wailed.